my friend Isaac Alexander in his beautiful home. He's allowing me to interview him. And we're on another episode of Zero to 60. So my friend Isaac has an amazing story. Um, got to see him and his wife and his kid all in their house this morning. Just such a beautiful family. And we're going to find out how he went from $0,000 a year to 60 k So Isaac, so people don't think you're some spoiled rich kid with this Ivy League education and background. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what kind of conditions, how you grew up, and give us give us a little background. All right. Um, well, uh, born and raised here in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and um, grew up in, with my mom. My mom and dad got divorced when I was about five years old, so it was always uh, mom and my sister. Um, and not impoverished, but just uh, definitely on the lower end of income, so things were always really tight. Yeah, single mom for sure. Um, and she usually was working while I was at school. Um, and so school was never, uh, never a good, good thing for me. I was never very, very good at it cause I didn't really have any accountability on that part. So, um, I just kind of did my own thing, uh, ended up kind of bouncing around from school to school, uh, for the most part, um, never really passing any class I ever took because I didn't really, um, care to. Um, but I dropped out of high school at 16. Yeah, I attended, I think, the first part of the junior year semester um, and pretty much was like, I'm I'm done with this. This is kind of worthless. Um, I found out I was going to have to go through summer school for the following two years in order to make up what I had already messed up in order to graduate. And I would graduate like half a year after the folks that I was in class with. So not only would I be doing like a crazy amount of work, I also would not walk with them, and at that point was like, well, I haven't done any work up to this point, so I definitely don't intend on doing twice the work. Um, so I dropped out at 16 and just kind of roamed around, kind of playing, um, and at 18, I got my GED, which is uh, kind of funny, but... Let me ask a quick question. So you, I had no clue, you dropped out of high school. I've, I don't think I've ever met, like really met a high school dropout. At 16, you just said, screw it, dropped out, and then you weighed the cost saying, well, they're going to make me do all this to go back. Like, that's dumb. Um, I already hate this place. Why would I do more work at a place I already hate? So you dropped – it was at a new high school. Wow. So you dropped out of high school. Give me like a 30-second of your mindset at 16. Like, it takes a lot of courage to drop out of high school. Um. Well – I'd imagine at that point, I really didn't see my life going anywhere um, because I had put no effort into any like thought process and career, trade. Um, I would definitely say I was a lazy deadbeat at that early age in life. Like I just loved to hang out and do nothing and had no drive towards anything. So my thought process was me do all of this extra work, which I've never studied. I've never done any book work just to get a high school diploma when I know I'm not going to college. Um, and that, that was a big thing. I I'd said for sure college is out of the question. So for me, it just, it, I waited out really quickly. It was like extra work versus sit home and do nothing. I, I'm going to do that. That that was it. And then you got your GED at 18. What was the mentality of saying, I'm going to go back, take these tests, get my GED, because most people, I mean, graduate high school at 18, so you're not exactly off 
track per se, but walk me through getting that GED. Um, well, that's a really funny story, um, and I may, by no means encourage people to get a GED, but it's a kind of a joke. Um, I, I knew that I wanted, at that time, uh, I at least wanted to like start taking classes at Central Piedmont Community College, but they won't let you until you have a GED. So I went and applied at Central Piedmont for the GED course, um, which was supposed to take like six months to a year. You go in there, you take a practice test, and then they tell you what classes you need to take. So I took a practice test, and they said, all right, you're ready for the actual GED test. So I took the GED test, passed that with flying colors. So in about a month and a half, I had my GED and never took a course. So I was like, well, this is even no more of a testament that I didn't need to go to co- or go to high school. Um, so that, that was a the process there. I just wanted to get into the community college to see about something. I had a lot of rich, kid, rich friends. And knew at 18, after a couple of years of maturing, that I didn't want to be poor anymore. So, Would you say that was your first experience in fast-tracking, per se? So I said, oh, it usually takes like six months to get your GED. Wait, would it pe- take people two years, 16 to 18, to finish high school? You did in literally a month and a half. Would you say that was a big trigger in your brain to say like I don't have to go with what the world says in their time frames I can do it myself and go tell me about that I would definitely say that was a the start as I think back about it but I also know like what my instincts were like growing up I I was always looking for a shortcut because I wanted things to be faster than they were and I did not realize at the time I didn't realize that what I was doing was um something that would lead me later on in my adult life and career. I was always taught that the fast track or the shortcuts were actually a negative. They don't work. They, if you cut corners, then you're, you're not going to get the same results. You're not going to get adequate results. Um, but after this, it really showed me like, okay, well, I don't have to do the trend that everybody else does. So you learned that those things weren't actually true. You can probably see now in business now that those principles hold true on some some macro things or some some things, but not all things. It's not completely true. If you drop out of high school, you can't graduate high school. That's a myth. So from there, I started taking classes at Central Piedmont um, and had no real direction so like every other kid I either had a choice of going to communication communication route or I could do business administration I think I started communication I don't recall I remember thinking I want the easiest track yet again Um, and the classes seemed to be the easiest um, because I was actually looking ahead and what classes will be required for me to finish up at Central Piedmont and I'm pretty sure I remember seeing a bunch of economic classes and all kinds of stuff on the business side. And I was like, well, I'm not doing that. So I'll go communications. And that, that was like kind of the start of like my college and advancing past the the GD. And when you're in college right now, how old are you? Question one, question two, are you still living at home? And question three, how are you making cash? Cause we want to start getting from zero to 60 and find out how you got there. Um, so I'm not living at home. I moved out of the house. I think it was about two weeks after I turned 18. I fast tracked from that as well. Um, I really wanted to be on my own. Um, and just wanted to be out. I didn't want to have the restrictions of living with my mom, 
Um, like most guys, we want to get out of the house really quickly. So I'm living in a house, um, and I'm living with two other guys and just kind of doing the, the young 18 year old, I guess I was about 19 at the time, um, when I'm starting to go to school. But, um, I, at the time had a job at Jason's Deli, um, and got a job there as a driver, which I thought at first was going to be like a joke, uh, but it ended up being the, aside from being a manager, it was the highest paying job there because we did a lot of catering and I ended up like, in my mind, I was crushing it. I was making like 2,500 bucks take home and I was like 18 to 19 years old. Like it, yeah, per month. Like it was to me, I was like, I was living big. Um, cause it was all tips. So it, it was really, that was, it was pretty cool. That that's essentially where I was just as I was entering into to college. Wow, that's some serious stuff. So what was your al- hourly rate at Jason's Deli, not including tips? I'm pretty sure it was around, $7 and some change, I think, was, was it. And I actually worked a good bit of hours, so I had that. And uh, yeah, I was probably working 30-ish to 40 hours. I mean, nothing crazy, but the tips were – I mean, I only worked like three or four hours in the morning – delivering sandwiches essentially to businesses for catering stuff so that's that's good to know see it's not just like you're working at jason's deli um you know doing something with with no tips this seems to be like you learn that one service can make make you more money your your income's not necessarily fixed even though it is dependent on another party but you went from seven bucks an hour to 2500 a month that's that's not seven bucks an hour. That's really good. So you're making good tips there. How long? Walk me through Jason's Deli. Um, so we'll call it seven bucks an hour. So that's let's say you're at fourteen thousand. If you're making twenty five hundred a month, you're probably just under you twenty to thirty thousand at this point. All right. Walk me through that job and some of the lessons you learned there, and ultimately why you left. I'll get to why I left, because that's an interesting story. Um, that was kind of the start of my corporate uh, life. But at Jason's Deli, um, I learned really quickly like how to befriend the head honcho, whoever was going to do your scheduling, and the person who was actually coordinating the deliveries. He had been there forever. He was a delivery manager. Um, and by the way, he was like one of the worst managers I've ever had, but also, <laughs> also he was the one who was in charge of what kind of income I could make. So I learned very early on <clears throat> that whether you like somebody or not as a manager, whether they're a good manager or not, you have to suck it up. You got to deal with it. Otherwise you're not going to have the same outcome for income and the level of advancement you're looking for. Um, and so with that, I just lost track of the question. So that's a that's a big lesson. That that's not just true in Jason's Deli. That's true anywhere in business. If like the ability to relate to the person who is is controlling most of your outcome, whether it's a manager, a boss, um, you know, sales, things like that. You said you learned how to friend the head honcho. Yeah. Um, all right, sweet. I just get his his phone real quick. Um, but that's really good. I want to hear how he learned to, to, uh, to befriend the head honcho. I'm going to take some lessons from this because like I said, this applies in corporate America. 
in any type of America. I mean, this is this is important. So tell me how you befriended the head honcho. Yeah, what's up? I need to use your phone. I'm pretty sure I left it in the car. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Use my phone. We'll pause this for a second. All right, we're starting back right here. And like I said earlier, I want to learn, Isaac, you said you learned how to befriend the head honcho. So walk me through the details of that. Like, I want to learn that in my own life. How do you befriend the head honcho? Um, I feel like I personally have um, fairly good intuition when it comes to reading people um, and knowing based off of their facial expressions, not what they're thinking, but how they're reacting to what I'm doing. And so I feel like that helped me out a lot. And having that humility where whenever I see they're not reacting the way I want them to, or that I did something that would offend them or didn't just sit well with them, having the humility to kind of just step back and understand their frustration. Um, I think that's carried me a long way and not, not feeling so prideful, which I'm for those who are listening, I am unfortunately a very prideful person. So it's something I, I have to work on, but just learning that at some point you just got to suck it up. And if they're frustrated with you, figure out a way to resolve it. And so I felt like that's been a really good trait I learned. And with this individual um, that was managing me, that was a hard thing because a lot of times it wasn't me or the other employees. It was just that individual. Um, and that made it very difficult. And I just had to learn how to cope with it because other folks did not. And their schedules and their income suffered from that. Great, great tidbit right there. Walk me through leaving Jason's Deli. What was going through your mind? How did you, you're making good money right here, especially for an 18-year-old. What goes through your mind is saying, you know what, Jason's Deli is not my end-all, be-all. And then how do you transition away from there? Um, so at the time, I'm now... 20 years old and I'm pretty close to 21. Yeah, I was there for a while. Um, and it was one of those comfy jobs where like, as I mentioned, I only had to work for like three to four hour shifts in the morning. And then a couple times a week, um, they made the, us drivers from the morning cause they knew we were making really good money. They're like, well, you guys have to come and work some of the crappier shifts at night where you would make like 30 bucks on a whole, a whole run. Like that was it. Like, whereas in the morning, like each delivery was 30 40 50 bucks in tip so um had that going on i was super comfortable with that um because yeah I, yeah i lived with roommates i was making good money i was doing whatever i wanted um relatively speaking for for a kid um and i was at the time trying to sell my jeep i had an old 1986 jeep cherokee it's the worst vehicle for those listening never buy one um, it was breakdown all the time, spewed oil everywhere. I mean, it, it was just a terrible vehicle. Real quick, I heard there's a Jeep wave. Like if you if you drive a Jeep, you have a certain wave, or there's a certain hierarchy on the road with other Jeeps. Is that is that true? Give me the insight. Um, maybe I was a, I was a terror on the street anyway. So um, that was my delivery advantage. I w I knew the streets, and I did not care about this vehicle. So I was just bobbing and weaving anyway. So. Um, I don't know about a wave, but I definitely, uh, as an individual have always driven that way. A little less so now that I have a baby, but, um, so I'm, I'm selling my Jeep cause my dad's just given me his 1993 Ford Crown Victoria. So not only was I an undercover police officer cause it was white, um, but it was like this, it, it was the greatest vehicle ever. I mean, I love that thing. 
And, uh, oh, yeah. I drove it down to Miami one year for spring break, and everyone got off the road for me. Like It, it was, oh, yeah, it was great. Um, so I'm 20 years old, and I'm selling my vehicle, and this guy calls me up, and then he meets me, and he's talking to me, and he's, like, driving a nice Mercedes, and I'm wondering, like, why do you want my car? It's probably going to break down on you next month. Um, and he lets me know he's buying it for one of his employees who um, works for his property management company. Um, and he says, hey, you know, I'm looking for a personal assistant. And not like the cool personal assistant, but like, I need you to get my coffee, my dry cleaning, all this kind of stuff. And he is a senior mortgage banker. QN, start of my career. That's amazing. So you are selling this 1993, you know, fake. Oh, you're selling the Jeep. All right, you're selling the Jeep to this guy, and it just so happens to be like the universe, God revolved around you, happened to meet this guy. I know you're in banking now. I don't know how you got there, but maybe this guy's it. Um, and you start meeting this guy. Maybe you're using some of your personal relationship skills, your intuition, you're reading him. You're obviously a hustler. Um, walk me through that conversation, and does anything come of it? Is this your end to the bank, to the mortgage industry? Um, I was really naive at the time. I, I didn't really know a lot about, like, salary structures and income and all that kind of stuff but um the guy told me he was like listen i'm looking for somebody to do this job as a personal assistant um it has potential because if you can bring in business for me this is like the day before like you're not buying leads at least at this company they weren't um, it was literally you had to go out and meet real estate agents and drum up your own business so this guy was a senior banker there i mean he was killing it it was back in the subprime stage so like you could just like walk into a job and make good money um but he was doing really well and needed someone to help out. And so he brought me in under the under the idea that if I brought in more money for him, that I would get a cut of that, which is just a way I learned for him to pay me less money up front. <laughs> um, so I was naive in that fact. But it was a great beginning. That that literally was the beginning of my corporate, like I call it corporate, Um but it was it was the beginning of my career, and I got my intro into that industry. Um, I began processing loans for him because it became instead of just like being a personal assistant, he just started asking me to make copies of packages and and loan and all this kind of stuff and like sorting stuff out that I had no clue what order I was doing. Um, it was an interesting like trial by fire position. Um, wasn't was not great training at all. Um, and so I had two and a half years working for him. Um, and after being a processor, his branch manager gave me the opportunity to get my licensing to become a loan officer. While you're being this guy's personal assistant, are you working any other jobs or just this? I started off working at Jason's Deli also, um, cause I wanted to supplement the income and I knew that if I got off work, or if I wanted to work on the weekends so that I could make some extra cash because I found out very quickly that uh, when I told him I was making $2,500, he took that as my gross pay. And I didn't know, I didn't understand how to explain this is my net. Um, so he paid me based off of that. I don't know what $2,500 is. Is it was about 30000 close to. Um, so that's what he paid me gross. So I remember 
not making a lot of money and ended up like I really was getting hosed. And then his manager found out about it and his manager was like, you need to give this kid a raise. Like, cause I was scrounging. Like, I think I was making three or $400 a week. Like it, the way he had it structured, just, I was scrounging by, but then I couldn't, I was doing so much for him that I ended up having to quit Jason's deli. Cause he convinced me like, Oh, if you work here more then you can make more and do all this, it, it never came to fruition. That's when his boss gave me the opportunity um, to get my licensing. So it, it was just like things just kind of fell in place. And I had to deal with a lot, uh, a lot there, but things kind of fell in place for me. But that's a, that's a cool thing. You know, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. You didn't really know you're being underpaid. You just know you're out of the restaurant industry, even though you're you know working some weekends, things like that. And you're in the professional environment, which I think is a big step to get from zero to 60. It's like, Let's say you don't get that great professional job with good mentors and good management. Like you're still in the door and having a mortgage company, even as a personal assistant on your resume is better than Jason's Deli because it takes a little bit to get in the door. You're learning real business skills. You're learning, you're sending emails, you're talking to people, you're dealing with companies that have big budgets, you know, or even budgets per se. They're not just paying you know, random minimum wage, things like that. So even though you're underpaid and overworked at this point, Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you do know it. You're still doing great work, and that ultimately catches the eye of your boss's boss, and word gets around. Word gets around that you're overperforming. Word gets around that you're a little underpaid. Somehow, um, would you say, real quick, in that time, there was anything that you really took away from that season of being overworked and underpaid? Um. I guess being more aware of how to get more pay out of what you're doing. I think um, anyone who I have ever worked for would say that one thing that they either loved about me or hated about me was I was always looking for a way to either get a raise or get a promotion. And so for me, um, I've always found it very difficult being in a salary position where there's no bonus opportunity or I'm not strictly on commission because my my goal is always, okay, what's the next step? How can I make more money? Um, I don't mind working harder. Uh, I don't mind working smarter. I don't mind earning more money for the company knowing that in return, that profit margin can come back into my pocket. Um, And I learned very early on that sometimes you got to take things into your own hands and certain positions won't give you the freedom to do that we're trying to get zero to 60 at this point at that company we're at jason's deli making 2500 a month you know we'll do the math later maybe that's probably less than 30k a year we still got to get to 60 um when you join this other company it's kind of like personal assistant you're learning the mortgage industry maybe you're making a little less but 20 to 30k you're still right about there we got to get to 60 so when that guy says hey you're underpaying this guy yada yada and then you said you start to get your licenses um tell me how much what's the number at that point and how old are you um at that point i'm actually still doing the processing job getting that same pay and going into sales at the same time. Um, and the guy who originally brought me in really felt like I'd kind of gone behind his back, 
even though it was all out in the open. He was just sensitive about the fact that now I was working for his boss. It was almost on the same level. That's that's the the way I got from him, even though he was crushing me in his income. I think for him it was really hard. But um, I'm going to fast forward through this part because it, we've got like a good six-year span before I get back into the industry. Um, but we'll fast track into mortgage meltdown. I'm selling um yeah i'm selling yeah yeah i got i have um a very small i'm gonna be a very small book of business that i'm working on and they're essentially a call center at this point um i was given a sheet of leads and i was not tony robbins i was not so hungry and desperate that i was just like on the phone and just crushing through these things and like doing whatever it took. I was very new. I still had in me some of that laziness. I had not worked that out of me yet, that hunger. I wanted to make more money, but I didn't know how, and I wasn't hungry enough to do it. But Fast Track wasn't making any money. Um, I was on draw at this point in sales, and they had the draw at $800 for a whole month. As you can imagine, I'm now driving a BMW that's really nice, and expensive and trying to pay rent and I had choices food rent or car so I ended up leaving that job so you leave that job and is this still pre-2008 so this is a little kind of it, it's um it's right in the mix of it like I it's 2008 but crap hasn't hit the fan totally yet uh, Lehman Brothers had just gone out um and that just started a domino effect. So banks just started like by the dozens just closing their doors. And I won't say I saw the writing on the walls because I was still young and naive at that point. Like I have to emphasize, I was very young and naive and did not understand what was happening around me. Um, and ended up a couple months later, um, a buddy of mine's father was the um, regional manager, head honcho of the Southeast for American Honda Finance Corporation. Um, sounds really cool, but he got me an entry level job while I'm still going to school at the time. Um, I had a very long career in school. I say career because I was just slowly going through, um, but fast over there and I'm doing a very clerical job and unbeknownst to me, he's got me on a track that he wants to put me through management. Um, but it was a very menial job and I ended up just kind of giving that up. And then I went and started working at a place called just fresh. Back to the restaurant industry. Wow. So you go from professional environment. Seems like you're telling me still a lot of growing or something like that to do in your between your ears. Um, long career at CPCC. You take another job at a mortgage company. Real quick, what are you what are you making there? I mean, are we still in that twenty to thirty range? Um, we talk about the at American Honda. Um, I think I was making like thirteen bucks an hour. Which I learned later on because I, I, I befriended a bunch of people there pretty quickly. Um, and I didn't let any of them know um, that this gentleman was also a good friend of mine's dad. Because um, I, I didn't want them to look at me differently. Because it was almost like my dad is the, the head honcho here. Like he runs this whole company. And I didn't want anyone to know that. But I kept asking for raises and like doing more work and extra work and extra. Um, trying to work my way up there. Um and I was only there, I think, maybe six or eight months. I really can't remember. But I got frustrated very quickly because I wasn't making the kind of money I wanted to. 
And after I left, I found out I was making like $4 more per hour than everyone who had been there for, for years. So he hooked me up in that stint. Um, but that was, that was a tough one for me, but I, I had to get, I just felt like I had to get out of there. And it was also right around the time that I was moving back home with my mom. Things just were not working out. I had been moving around a lot, um, in and out of jobs. And I think this, at this point, this might be my second time coming home to mom. So we had, we had a couple of those. This is really good because you're on that treadmill, bouncing between jobs, doing the part-time community college thing. Um, and there's a lot of people out there. There's on that treadmill. You know, I, th- I loved what you said. It was, you know, you said you weren't Tony Robbins. You said, I, I wanted to make more, but I didn't know how, and I wasn't necessarily hungry to do it. So this is going to be a, a great story trying to figure out what was that thing that, that clicked. Because I'm sitting in like this mansion, I would call it right now, interviewing you. And we're, we may not get to there. We're just going to get to 60K. But as you're in between jobs, you said you went back to Just Fresh. So this is literally bouncing around like you're back in the food industry after going to the professional environment. We're not, let's be honest here. And we're not talking like the cool kind. Like this is... This is not Jason's Deli. This is now Just Fresh, which is just a glorified version of Jason's Deli. Um, we don't do deliveries and stuff, but it's like smoothies, quesadillas, burgers, and sandwiches. Like, it's just another job. And fortunately, at the time, I'm back living at home. So I can't recall how much I was making. It, I, maybe I'd say I'd call it 8 bucks an hour, maybe $9. Um, yeah, I, mean, I was making less money, but now I'm living at home, so I don't really care. Yeah, and I've gotten rid of the BMW because um, I couldn't afford that. Even though I think the payment was like two hundred and eight dollars a month, I still I have like nightmares because this is my dream car. Which, by the way, I sold to my mom, so she still drives it. It's like still pimped out, like the exhaust. I mean, it, it's a very nice vehicle. She's still driving it to this day. Um, so I still have nightmares about that, but I think back like, man, I, I couldn't afford $208 on a monthly payment. Like that was, it's a tough time, right? Um, like I said, I was, I was fighting between my paying rent, am I paying my BMW? Also gas prices were $5 a gallon at the time. And I was a race car driver, I thought. So, um, that was expensive, but now I'm back at Jason's deli and this is a, or not, sorry, um, just fresh. This is a cool part of, this, of like where I start making some moves, um, or at least like wanting more. Um, I started there, I'm just on the line making sandwiches and less than three months in, cause my buddy Anthony uh, got me the job and I'm like asking for as many hours as possible. I'm wanting to work 40 hours. I'm also at central Piedmont still. And you're probably thinking how long could he be there? But I was taking time off here and there. I was starting and stopping, starting and stopping. Um, but I was still taking classes and now I'm getting kind of serious about school. Like I have in my mindset, like I've, I've flipped over to business administration at this point. Um, and I have in my mind, well, at least I keep telling everybody I want to be in executive leadership. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew it sounded really cool and probably would make me a lot of money. Um, and so I'm there three months and something happened where I think a manager left or got transferred and they had a spot open. Uh, Jason's, yeah, just fresh. Sorry. Um, and so I asked for, and I, I had befriended the guy who was, I had befriended the guy who was actually running this just fresh, um, and another one. So he was like their regional district manager, even though it was like a whopping three. All right. So big thing there, you befriended a guy. So I'm seeing the same, um, 
character traits back at Jason's Deli. So you befriended this guy. You said you've always always looking for how to make more money, always looking for a raise. So this is this is literally just what you told us. And all right, keep keep going. Um, also, another guy who was very difficult for everyone to get along with, <laughs> but I was able to. Uh, he and I kind of clicked. So he was kind of erratic, but I also kind of clicked with him, and I learned like what made him tick. But the thing is, not everybody clicked with him. You clicked with him, and everybody else had the chance to click with him. So I, I don't want you to downplay it. It was like very, very important. He was hard to deal with, but you found a way to click with him. Yeah, I, I think, and this goes for every line of work. This goes for everywhere you work. you got to learn what what your manager is looking for. Um, and this goes in relationships because you're always serving people. No matter what industry you're in, you're serving people. Um, and so it's about relationship building. And although I was trying to, I was very selfish in what I wanted, but I also knew, and I'm learning even still today that even though you have a selfish motivation of advancement or making more money, it all comes in. And I was listening to a podcast, I won't mention the podcast, but I was listening to a podcast earlier, um, this past week and the individual who was being interviewed said in every relationship when you're trying to land a big deal and you're looking for some hedge fund to sponsor you or to invest in you stop thinking about what you want from them and really make the experience highly pleasurable for them make them just have the most fun during that interview so even though they're there interviewing you you want to make sure they're having tons of fun and they feel amazing when they leave not because your product is so good but because of the attention you paid to them and you said this earlier you can relate that to relationships i'm sure that quote make the experience pleasurable for them can be applied everywhere in life i mean you probably see that in marriage um see that in in business everything all right so is it okay to mention that podcast i mean i don't i don't don't care about the competition i want to promote them it sounds good what's what's that podcast um, it's the Tim Ferriss show, which I am highly addicted to. Um, I listen to it every morning, uh, when I'm on my way to work and, uh, Adam Robinson was a guy that he was, uh, he was interviewing. Um, Adam Robinson is just an amazing, amazing character. He just so knowledgeable. He has a really cool background. I won't go into the details, but he's just very, very knowledgeable and his ability to build relationships was very profound to me. And that his whole thing was about when you're having an interaction with someone, your main goal is for them to enjoy that interaction. Not not to be thinking about yourself, but for the other individual to enjoy that interaction. That is gold. We got there by saying, by talking about how you were moving up in Jason's, in, uh, in Just Fresh. Um, did you get that manager job at Just Fresh? I did, um, to the dislike of a lot of people who had been there for a while. Um, but it was just kind of another thing where I, I worked really hard at everything I did. Like I was, I started to become a perfectionist in what I, and what I was doing. Um, also because my buddy Anthony who worked there was like the most OCD person I've ever met. Um, he and I got along really well. Um, he was a quiet guy. I was super outspoken. Like we just really clicked. We ended up being roommates there for uh, a year or two. Um, but I really wanted to impress him. I did not want to let him down. He brought me in, and I learned at that point, um, although I let the individual down at American Honda, um, it was one of the few jobs I literally walked out 
on that job. Um, and it's something I'm not proud of because this individual stuck their neck out for me, got me the job, and I really let him down. And it's something I'm not proud of. Um, and to this day, I actually have not reconciled. So I should probably work on that and, and reach out to him for that. But um, this time, I did not want to let my buddy down. And so I became a lot like him and being OCD and I worked really hard. Unfortunately, it was recognized. That's that's a tough scenario in life when you when you feel like you've let someone down. Um, but you, the main thing is that you didn't let the person down in the next job. And it sounds so you became a manager. Um, I really love that that lesson. You know, I can tell there's a lot of there's a lot there where you really felt like you did let those people down. Um, but the most important thing is you you learn from it. You're growing. I can think of a lot of people have let down in life and yeah, some people you rectify with some people you don't. And it's always a kick in the pants, but like, Hey, you haven't rectified with that person. Pick up the phone call, thank them. You wouldn't be where you're at in life without them. They stuck their neck out for you. It's an embarrassing thing to have to make those calls. So may we both do them sooner in our days. Um, so you're a manager at just fresh, but we're not at 60 K yet. What are you making? What are you making there? Um, I would guess, and say somewhere between somewhere around 25 maybe it's not uh no 25k maybe um i still remember my aunt who's a cpa doing my taxes back then which i don't even know why i had someone doing my taxes but mainly because i had no clue um i don't think that maybe h&r block or like um or turbo tax was like a big deal yet i can't remember because i wasn't making enough money to know about it um but I remember her getting me my taxes and me thinking, oh, I'm making great money. I, I must be making at least 30, 35 a year because I had no clue how to use a calculator. Um, and just seeing like year after year, 19, 22, 25,000. Um, so still really not doing much. And knowing that the only step above where I was was the general manager who in a place like that maybe was making fifty to 60000 I mean, this place isn't generating a lot. We're not even doing 20000 in sales a week. So, as you can imagine, that's not going to generate a lot of income for anybody else. So, that, that to me, was like a turning point. I, I knew I wasn't going to make any more money and time to look for the next thing. By the way, I got fired from that job. So, um, but that's the story we'll, we'll leave beyond uh, behind. Yeah, well, I, I want, I'm having another podcast segment called I Got Fired, What Happened? Or I'll probably interview myself, but now I know to bring you back on as well. Um, that's that's a really good lesson. You saw the top, the GM, the general manager, and you're like, I don't even want to be that top. Like, that's not even that good. Um, now, don't don't get me wrong. That's that's a good thing. That guy's probably providing for his family. He's doing a great thing. It's great for five kids. Five kids. It's great. It's great for everybody. But you saw that that wasn't your top. You get fired from that job. This is an amazing story. You're going from literally 16 to whatever age we're at now, and you're still. Haven't really crossed that like 30k yet. I mean, I it's I can't wait to get there because I'm sitting in this house right now and I'm like, what happened? Like, what what did you do? So you get fired from from Just Fresh. Walk me through that. Like, this is gonna be an incredible story. Um, well, it didn't feel incredible at the time um, because it was someone. It was the the person who was supposed to get that promotion when I got it was the one who helped my firing. Now, um, I shouldn't have done what I did, but he helped leave that. So it was a really tough time because not only that, but I had just signed a lease with my buddy, Anthony, who had got me that job. Um, and so 
he and I were about to move into our place within a month. Like it was, it was imminent. It was about to happen. I had a financial obligation now. I was leaving my mom's house, I believe, for the last time, and uh, second or third time. Um, and so, like this was this was definitely going to happen. Um, for me, it was very difficult because now, for the first time in a while, I don't have any income and I have no prospects, but I have an obligation, and I'm going to school full time. So I had a lot on my plate at the time and called up my really good buddy. Um, he and I have known each other since we were five years old. Um, and he was working at a place called 131 Main here in Charlotte. They have like three locations. It's like a, they called it casual fine dining. It wasn't fine dining, but it was super casual. Food was really good. And price points were awesome because you could make decent money. It wasn't like you were working at Applebee's and you had to like, turn your tables over over and over and over to make any kind of cash like you could make decent money there yeah um so it's it's a great place um it's easy money there um but i had a beard at the time and so i walked in i met the manager she's like you're awesome i'll hire you uh but that beard's got to go and for me I ha- i'd had the beard for like three years and i was like this is like my identity here you know um, which I don't have a beard anymore, by the way, I, I, that, that one's stuck. Um, but yeah, I had to make a choice. Like I need money right now. I don't have a choice. This is a good job for me. It's a good opportunity. And so, uh, yes, shaved the beard and started working at 131 Main. And I think this is around the time I met you. Um, give us a quick update. How old are you at this point? And, uh, you're finishing school. So how old are you? Um, I, th- I believe I'm around 24, I believe. So this is like a six-year stint of just up and on and back and jobs and this. You know, I look at stories like this. One, I'm excited to hear the end of it or at least the to 60 part of it. But just a quick tidbit. I mean, how great is our country where, you know, dropped out of high school, kind of do it, got your GED, going to a little school, but you're – you're not living on the street. I mean, you're able to go work these entry level, service level jobs, mid, you know, certain entry level professional jobs. It'll provide for yourself. You're able to eat. Like, what an amazing country where, you know, kind of we'll call that maybe poverty, a little above poverty. You have a strong work ethic, and you're able to have a roof over your head every night. You're able to eat Chinese takeout. Remember we used to talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, just go America for for even. Yeah, even, um, you know, we'll call it no skill or whatever, just a hard work ethic, a desire to serve and love people, you can put a roof over your head. Really, really cool. Um, so now you're at 131 Main. I think this is around when we meet, because when we meet, it's like, you, I got, I'm working the weekends, maybe, I, then you had to give up working Fridays and Saturdays, but like, I don't want to give that up, so there are a lot of tips. So this is around where we meet, you're around 24-ish, um, this is probably 2012, 2011, maybe something like that. I think, yeah, actually, that does make sense because um, the next step was around, two, actually, 2012. So this is like 2010 and 2011, I think. Um, so I'm working at 131, and, like, this could not have been more of, like, just a blessing and being fired. Um, getting fired was actually like from just fresh was like the best thing that happened to me. I'm now as a server, 
making more money than I had ever made, which is crazy. Um, I think I was up to about $3,000. I think it was about take home about $3,000 uh, a month. And I mean, I'm feeling like a rock star at this point. Um, I'm yeah, nice. I was actually, uh, still living with Anthony at the time. And so now I'm splitting rent, which is really easy and, um, playing around with cars and like I'm back having fun again. Uh, I'm going to school fast track. I'm still in school. I'm making very slow progress. Um, because my thing was I was taking like four, four classes every semester, but some of the times I would drop and only take two classes because I didn't feel like taking more or I would fail one or two of the classes. So like you can still see this. I want to get there, but I'm not putting in all the effort I need to with school. With school. What I love about you when you tell a story, it's like I wanted to get there, but I wasn't putting in the effort. It's never this victimization of, well, I didn't have the time to go to school. The system was out to get me. It didn't really work around my schedule. School was too far away. I didn't have a car. It's not this victimization. You're 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 very self-aware and painting yourself as as someone who controls their own destiny. Um, so at one thirty one Maine, this is a if there was a comfortable job, this seems to be it. You're working in a very nice place, making good money, splitting rent, living the life, um, hauling in about three grand a month. Real quick, walk me through what's your hour hourly wage there, and what's your average like per tips. Oh man, I was making bank per hour. It was uh, two dollars and thirteen cents um, was the uh, the standard uh, in the restaurant. Um, and tip wise, on average, I think it was about a hundred dollars a day, hundred dollars a shift. Um, and towards the end of my uh, my stint there at one thirty one, because so this is like God worked everything out at this job. I got fired for a good reason. It just fresh. Um, I totally earned that. Um, and but that put me into this job at 131. And then when I made a decision um, that I would no longer work from sundown to sundown, Friday and Saturday, um, that was a big blow, as you mentioned before. No Fridays, no Saturdays. Anybody that's ever been to a restaurant knows those are the busiest times. You don't have to be a server to get that. So that was hard. Um, and so I was looking for other avenues. And at the time, I had also, like, just prior to that, started asking them about bartending there because that's where you can make good money as well. As you can see, I'm always looking to make more money. Where are the opportunities at? Um, I've had Greg Bartos, a good friend of ours on this podcast. And, and he's real big. When I was at Quell Hollow, I was cross training. I was asking, well, can I wait? Can I do this? Can I do this? Can I learn all these different things? So it's a very common trait in kind of these interviews I'm seeing with with successful people like you they're saying I'm I'm looking to make more money but I'm also asking you know how can I become more valuable to this company and if you're a waiter and a bartender you're obviously more valuable because you can do more jobs like you said you're always looking for ways to make more money well, bartenders make more money if I'm going to yeah. be in this place might as well make the most money as I can what what waiter job makes the most bartender let me I need to learn how to do that which I know in, in North Carolina requires some certifications. Did you ever pursue the bartending stuff? I did. Uh, and fortunately, this was a position you are 100% correct. You go work in a bar somewhere, absolutely have to go like get certified, learn like 1,400 beverages. It's ridiculous. Um, I was really fortunate, though, because I worked at 131, I was able to do on-the-job training. So I was like a bar back and wasn't even making beverages. Um, I was just there to 
make sure they had yeah i hey go make us more bloody mary mix awesome i'll be back in 20 minutes uh it was it was a very grunt work kind of job um they did not give tips you got hourly wage only um and it was something menial like maybe seven bucks an hour um and you knew because you saw all the drinks being made and all the tips coming back like they were crushing it while i'm just doing like the little stuff but i knew like i've got to do this in order to get to that point so I had to do all like the studying and learning of beverages. And this was a great segue into that where I got past actually having to, to learn uh, or go to the, get the certification. So it's one step back. And this is a big thing. You're in this comfortable waiter job. You, you're making about three grand a month, 100 bucks a night in tips. But now you take this one step back to make 17 bucks an hour. I mean, to make $7 an hour pick up kegs, replace them, probably clean glasses, make Bloody Mary mix, taking this, you know, one step back to hopefully take two steps forward. Did you get that bartender job ever? I did. Um, and I think I was thinking of 3000 whenever I finally finished there. Um, but when I started off there, it was okay. Cause like you got to work your way up at a restaurant. Like that's the big thing. Anybody wanting to go into the restaurant industry, you need to understand there's a high, oh, it's, a, it's like you are entering into this like group of people who are going to possibly, depending on where you're at, treat you like you've just come from another country and don't speak their language and are definitely not part of the club. And mainly because if you get their shifts, you take their money. Um, so it's a really hard thing to get into. So you got to learn there again, how to manage those relationships. Uh, but I ended up, so this all comes back to, I had to stop working on Friday and Saturday evenings. So I got into the bartending, and then that's when God opened the door for me. So you're dropping dropping the God bomb a lot here. Um, I had Brock on this podcast. He had a really he had a really funny funny quote, and Brock Brock Wright, also a good friend of ours, he said, "You know, I wanted to get married, but I had these archaic in laws that required this." It required me to actually have a job before I got married. Very ar- archaic thinking here. So I know your story, but is that the case with you as well? You say you stopped working Friday nights, Saturdays. Um, did you meet a girl? Like what, what happened to make you make this transition? I think this is a big turning point here. We probably should have touched on this first, but or before I even started at 131. But yes, as I was at Just Fresh, um, my mom thank the Lord, introduced me to um, my now wife. Um, and, oh yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. Um, but I was living a completely different lifestyle, um, one we won't go into, but let's just say it was the furthest from anything resembling um, religion. Um, so I wanted nothing to do with that lifestyle. But fast track to that, back to the restaurant, is my relationship with my wife's father, um, Joseph Squitterini, one of the strongest men I have ever met. And it also turns out he and I have personalities that Colby could probably say are very close together. Um, and so he's a very influential part of my life and he starts to take on that father role, um, which I, not to get in too far into that, but I, my father has not, really been someone that I wanted to mirror myself after when I met Christine's father 
100% wanted to be like him. Didn't need to do his job. Didn't need to um, like be him. But the roots. The roots were there. That's exactly how I wanted my life to look. So um, part of his requirement was that I start like coming to Bible study there. And this is where my life starts to change. So stopped working on Friday and Saturday evenings. And the only way this actually worked was I was working doubles on Sunday. And at this restaurant, we had a great brunch set up. And then Sunday night was pretty decent. So I had to work double that day, which meant I had to be there at like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. for brunch and work until about 10 to 10:30, 10 11 o'clock at night. Fortunately, I closed early on Sundays. And I also learned that if I was the um, the swing shift, that I would get the early part of the shift on brunch, late part of the shift on brunch, and I would have like a 10 minute break in between, and I would roll right in the swing shift for dinner. It was I was maximizing my time while I was there, and then. I, uh, one of the guys wanted to stop working bartend on Sunday. And so I swung in and literally opened and closed bar by myself on Sundays and made more money on that single day than I made on any combined shifts for the rest of the week. So I was, I actually stopped working two days and now I was working four days a week and was making exponentially more money. So it was just one of the, another way of like God has opened doors because of obedience and wanting to, um, yeah, want to be obedient. And also, you were you were prepared for the opportunity. So you had gotten your bar certification. You had spent time doing the bar back. You didn't make an excuse and say, "Hey, you know, because I'm not working Fridays and Saturdays now, um, you know, I'm going to make less money. I'm a victim." You said, "All right, well, I have the opportunity to work Sunday. Here's what's happening Sunday: work this double shift, work more hours, and you just you made it happen." Um, so that's what I I really admire. So let's walk through this big, this is the turning point, is what I think, this season of your life. Yeah. Um, so you've got all of this going on these last six to eight years of your life, bouncing between everything, but now you're at a good restaurant, you've met a girl, and what's going through your mindset where it's like, hey, if I'm going to get married, if I'm going to provide for a family, if I'm going to impress my father-in-law I, I got to get out of the, the restaurant industry. Yeah, so this is, this is a really interesting part of the story because um, my perception was not reality, and that was designed by Christine and her father. Um, so, yeah, Christine is my now wife, um, and I'll, I'll go back and kind of <laughs> laugh with Brock that this archaic um, dictator um, told me that um, if I were to marry his daughter working at a restaurant, was not going to cut it. Um, Come to find out, it was Christine telling him that I don't want to marry a man who is going to be working late nights and weekends at a restaurant. That's not going to provide the kind of family and lifestyle that we need just as a baseline. Not for the future, but just as a baseline. Because I want to spend time with my husband. Um, I want to have a normal lifestyle with him, and I don't want him out until the wee hours of the evening um, we hours, by the way, we go to bed at like nine, nine thirty. So I say 11 o'clock is the wee hours. Um, but a really interesting thing happened. I'm working lunch at, uh, at one thirty one main, which all servers, if you're going to work dinner shift, they require you to work some lunches. So I had kind of finagled my way into working one lunch shift per week. Um, just 
to appease everybody else so that other servers didn't complain about it. Um, yet again, I kind of worked my way in with the managers, and they really – we got along quite well. Um, also made really good friends with the guy who actually made all the shifts, so that helped out. Um, but I'm working lunch shift, and I get this table, normal table, and the guy asked me, he was like, what, what are you doing with yourself? Like, what, what are you doing these days? Like, And I, at the time, had transitioned from Central Piedmont. My aunt went to Queens University here in Charlotte. Very, uh, very private school, stupid expensive. Um, and my aunt being one of the only people in our entire family, both sides, mom and dad's side, that was like a college-bound person. She's a CPA, worked really, really hard, didn't get her degree from there until she was 40. So I really wanted to be like her. And so I started going to Queens um, to further um, pursue a degree in business. So that aunt was like your closest representation of, of material, financial success, college, things like that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my grandfather, um, he passed away when I was about five years old, I believe. Five or eight years, in between that time frame. Um, he also was like the one guy in the family. He was really big into commercial real estate, uh, which I never got to know that side of him. But he instilled that in his daughter. Um, and she just was a, I'm going to work really hard no matter what. So that, that was really, really influential. And she was always that nagging at correcting my grammar. And like, I thought so, but like now she and I are super close and I, I couldn't be more appreciative of what she's brought me to. Very cool. So you're at this table at 131 Main and this guy's asking, what are you doing? Yada, yada, walk me. Sounds like a big deal or you wouldn't have brought it up. Walk me through that that conversation in the next season. Um, this gentleman, um, I don't mind mentioning his name because hopefully this promotes him and his business. Um, he is a headhunter um, at the time for a company called Sherpa LLC, uh, which they are still around. Um, and they, well, at least in his department, he was kind of heading up their um, IT headhunting and so he was asking me about what I was doing, what I, what I wanted to do. Um, and although being in the restaurant industry, that, that's essentially sales, service sales. Um, you have to upsell to get more out of each client. Every client, every table is a client. So you're constantly selling and presenting things in such a beautiful fashion that they want to buy that banana cream pie or whatever it is, right? They're already hungry. They've already had a steak and everything else. But yeah, of course you want to spend $8 on a dessert because of course you want that. You're full. Um, but he and I clicked really quickly. Um, and he was there with another business associate. And he said, here's my card. Give me a call. Um, if you're interested, I have a positioning position opening up and would like to meet with you. Um, and so... Within a couple of weeks, uh, we had already worked it out, and I was interviewing. This is my first time ever having a real interview. Um, and I don't mean a real, I mean like a real interview where you have multiple folks coming in and talking to you, not just for like five quick minutes, asking menial questions, I mean nothing, but like grilling you to see if you deserve the position. I think at the time, I negotiated somewhere around 50000 a year, I believe which I don't understand why they gave it to me still to this day, other than the fact that he was like, well, you're going to be a headhunter and having to negotiate people's salaries and income. And 
you just negotiated your way with no experience into 50,000. So I feel pretty comfortable about that. Amazing. So what is this company that you're interviewing for? Um, it's Sherpa LLC. Um, they are, yeah, I'm going to be a recruiter. Um, so this is a quick story. Um, I started the job and was just in way over my head. I negotiated really well to get the job. I was not prepared for what I was going to be doing. Yeah, to do the work. It was literally, I was having to cold call people in their database, which I didn't know how to use. It was really, I, I had a hard time with that. It felt like working on MS-DOS. Um, not, not to their fault, but like it was, it was a good system. I just didn't know how to use it. Um, and so ended up working there and get this. I worked there for a whole seven days. Real quick, I mean, you're you're doing the non-victim thing again. Like, you're not saying all oh, this system was bad. You're saying it was a great system. I just didn't know how to use it. I mean, now you know, being an I work in technology, you're obviously well off in the in the business world. But you know, like, whoever built this system, they put a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of research into it. This is a very powerful system. It's definitely better than old Rolodex with pen and paper. So I just love that you're not saying the system was bad or anything. It's like, yeah, I just didn't know how to use it. I mean, it was, it was literally my fault. I was punching above my weight. First real kind of maybe first big business job right here. Um, so I just, I just love that. So you can keep going, but I just wanted to say. Yeah, so I, and I did this one the right way. I said before Colby uh, interjected there, I only worked there for seven days. Um, yeah, I actually, Colby almost spit his coffee out as I was saying that. Um, but. I did make it very, I know, it, it's, it was terrible. And I felt so bad because this guy had stuck his neck out for me. But, like, when I say I only made it seven days, like, I went to him and I was like, I feel like I'm in way over my head. I don't know what I'm doing um, because you're doing IT, right? You're, you're head hunting for IT. So the first thing you're having to do is call these people up and find out what they're currently doing, what kind of position they're doing, um, and like, are they, are they like, sequel based or like, and that's about the extent, like I can say sequel cause I studied that. I studied a whole lot online, like figuring this stuff out, but like with the JavaScript and all that kind of stuff, like I didn't know what that meant. And so, right. It's not. And so I'm like doing all kinds of stuff. And by the way, if you Google Java, you will get a lot about coffee. Um, not about, uh, whatever it is, Java. I, I never really figured it out and still don't. Um, but it was really tough because I was trying to call these people and talk to them about open positions and convince them that they wanted to leave their current contract or their current position, um, find out when their contract was ending, and then convince them that the job that I had was right down their alley. And I was making some stupid calls because they were like, I don't have that qualification at all. And that, although, yes, it uses the program I use, it's a completely different application. So why are you calling me? And it was, I was just getting shot down and I didn't feel like I was making any traction, didn't know what I was doing. So it was really hard. And I actually, it was one of the few jobs where I was getting physically ill because I was so nervous. Like I had those actual butterflies because I didn't know what I was doing and I was just failing flat on my face every single day. And so I went to him. His name is Randy Gartz. Um, he was the guy who, uh, who hired me, brought me in there and was trying to train me. And he is like a best in class kind of guy. He's just lights out, super care, uh, caring about folks, uh, has a great heart and legitimately generally wants to help people like advance their careers. Um, and so I went to him and was just like explaining how I was feeling. And he was really, 
really trying to coach me through it. Like almost like, like a big brother kind of thing. Not even like a father, a big brother, like here, I understand. I had to cut my teeth, this kind of stuff, like study this, think about this. Um, and he was really trying, but it just did not work out. And I went through the proper channels with him and I said, I gave, he was like, you can go home and think about it. Um, and he said, there's nothing wrong with that. Said, you think about it, come back. And I, I came back in really early the next morning cause I, he always got there really early before everybody else. And we just sat down. I was like, I just, I'm really sorry. I appreciate the opportunity, but I just, I don't think this is for me right now. And fortunately I had quit the correct way at this time at 1:31. gave him a two week notice and, uh, they immediately hired me right back. So I had no break in income, which was a blessing as well. So you go from the restaurant industry to a professional environment, making $50,000. Um, you need to get married at this point. You need to, you got to get into this professional world before your father-in-law is going to let you marry his daughter. And it sounds like you're, you're maybe punching above your weight. Sounds like it's funny, like the, the the king of sales, like the guy, I'm literally sitting in this beautiful, amazing home in one of the nicest neighborhoods in Charlotte. Sounds like you had a panic attack, you're punching above your weight. Um, walk me through like the internal at that point, because you're coming from a background of a single mom, lower middle class, com- drop out of high school, community college, bouncing between jobs and mortgage and restaurant and getting fired from restaurant back to the service industry. Talk me through like your mental mindset at this point, because you didn't get dealt this hand of cards with Ivy league education and this, you know, amazing role models growing up. I mean, your mom's incredible. We'll get to that at the end. Um, but you had like your mom as like this rock stable thing. You had the aunt, aunt Christine, aunt diane as a cpa but that's that's your your two things now this father-in-law enters talk me through that panic attack and also fast track seven that you learned a lot in seven days i mean to be able to start googling stuff cold calling things like that what was it inside that just sounds like a really growing experience maybe um where you finally Maybe in the future you develop the internal like self-respect in yourself. Like I deserve this. Like I can work in these environments. I don't need to go back to the restaurant industry. Just walk me through that because this seems really like a deep part of of you that I want to hear about. Yeah, I, I want to touch on this one briefly, but I also want to save a good chunk of this growing experience for later on and how I apply it today. Um, but at the time, the hardest part about this not only was it gut wrenching because I was letting down Randy. Um, amazing guy. I mean, absolutely amazing guy. But I was also in my mind, now I'm truly taking a step back because I was so excited. I was telling the family about this. Beyond the 50000 I was making a step towards a actual career. Like, not being like an hourly wage person at American Honda Finance, but like, this is a real job. And for those of you who don't know, in headhunting, it's sales, and you can make really good money. So I had base at 50, and you could easily double that or triple that or quadruple that in bonuses and commission. Yeah. So like it was, it's a big deal to actually, in my mind, even to this day, to have a base and a sales position like that where they're willing to take a chance on you and pay you that much money where you haven't even started to produce because it takes a while to build that book of business up 
in that line. It's not like individual sales where like you just you find someone a job and you get ten grand. It's like it's got to be this ongoing thing because there's hours that they're paid on all these things. So that that was going to be really difficult. And I didn't mind. I love the prospect of like over a long period of time having an opportunity to earn that. But the biggest step back was I knew that by leaving this position, I would I was prolonging the ability and opportunity to marry my wife. If I went back to the restaurant, I was not marrying her. And we all know it takes a while to plan a wedding. So now the plan's like everything's on hold at this point. Um, we're still not engaged, but we're in a relationship where I had to wait 10 months um, while quote unquote dating her father um, to earn his respect and his trust. And then my wife and I dated for seven months and then we were engaged and we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But I was, I was prolonging that process because now I'm going back to the restaurant. That was the hardest part about it, let alone I'm now taking a step back from a possible career that could make me the money that I desired. And then just to give our, our listeners a little bit of background, this isn't just like a normal marriage in the world where you guys live together, you date, you go out and everything. You have a lot to look forward to after this wedding day. You could like this you're you're courting, we'll say, in a religious atmosphere, which means the freedom is on the other side of marriage, not not the enslaving per se. So you have a this is a big deal to like not get married. This isn't especially as a man. I mean, this is this is everything. Like you got to get married. This isn't just um I'm prolonging this. We're dating. Like there's a big motivation in you to cross that finish line of marriage here. And it sounds like not only you got to win the girl, you got to win her father. You got to win somebody at a job to get a good stable here. So I just want to get a little background. Like dating in a religious atmosphere is not your typical dating here. And there's a lot of motivation for Isaac at this point. Yeah, Colby's uh, hit on a hot topic on that one. So what he's describing by saying in a religious atmosphere um, is not not always typical in in every religion. Um, And even in um, the sect where I'm at, like, it was just this family. So this family, the Squitcherinis, are a very strong family. Four daughters and one, one son. Um, and they are just an amazing family. And so by prolonging this, it was really me giving up a potential like lifestyle and family with them. But um, what Colby is describing is a courting relationship in the oldest fashion. When I said I had to quote-unquote date her father... That's not even that's not something weird. That's a really cool thing where I literally had to like grow and trust him. Christina at a very early age promised her father that he would have a major part in helping her find a man. It wasn't that he was going to find the guy for her. It wasn't that he was going to tell her who to marry. It was that she was entrusting him that if a guy came along that she had interest in, he would vet him out. And it's really powerful because to earn a father's respect is like the ultimate because now you've got him on your side. I later learned that. I didn't understand that at the time. But um, I thought he was just, again, this archaic man who would not let me just take his daughter on a date. Um, So it took 10 months for that. 
Um, and so I really prolonged that and that was the hardest part. But the biggest point to understand is that in this kind of um, relationship that you're starting, you're not doing it on the basis of, I just want to go on a date with this person. It's if I enter into a relationship, it is an understanding that the two of us will eventually marry. This is before a ring's on the finger. We haven't even gone out for coffee by ourselves yet. It's just an understanding that we have a common interest in each other, that we've hung out enough to know we like the personality, um, and that it's more of an obligation to each other. That's the strongest piece to understand. It's about obligation. So um, by giving this job up and going back to 131, I was giving up that opportunity. Now, I was still able to court and do all that stuff, but... There was no put. The, you can't put the ring on the finger yet because once you put the ring on, now it's time to start planning for a wedding. So that that was off off the table at that time. Let's not spend too much time at your time, on your time at one thirty one Main after you after you go back there. But how do you get? So you got to fifty k. Now we're going back to let's say thirty thirty five whatever. How do you get out of one thirty one Main? Well, this is uh, this is truly the beginning of my my current career. Um, at the time, again, I'm now serving. Um, it has become very, I won't say unstable, but things got a little hairy. Um, I'm working at 131 Main on East Boulevard, doing my bar shift on a Sunday, and surprise, surprise, the hood where our Hickory Fire is catches fire. And the restaurant goes up. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty bad. Um, and the fire alarms, sprinklers goes off. Like, it's not like the place isn't on fire, but there's smoke everywhere. And the sprinkler system just run for like an hour and a half. So the restaurant is trashed. So now I'm, at this point in my mind, I'm freaking out because that's how I make my money. Um, it was fortunate. Insurance took care of a lot of things. Um, salaries, wages, all that kind of stuff. But... Now I'm having to drive out. Uh, I live right in that neighborhood in Dilworth. Um, I have a little place I'm renting out, and I'm my restaurant is in Dilworth, so I, I have like a bike ride to work if I want to. Now I'm driving out to Cornelius, which is easy thirty minutes. Yeah, to work at the other re- uh, other one thirty one restaurant, um, and now I'm kind of starting back in. Like I'm entering into this group of people who don't want me there because I'm taking away their shifts, even though I'm a senior server, bartender, whatnot. Um, so that was very, very difficult. Well, now I'm searching for opportunities. Um, at this point I'm now at Queens because I'm over 25. Um, I get a discount. It's half price for, uh, for a year of college, which is still 14 grand a year. To me, it was a lot of money. So I'm taking on this debt and here's where I think the rubber meets the road. Um, fortunately, Christine's father, has a really strong mindset of you don't need a college degree in order to become successful. Maybe you need that if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, or something that requires it, right? Accountant, something that would require a certification and a background. But you don't have to have a college degree for that. So now my my thinking starts, okay, I'm just now I'm taking on debt. I don't own a home. I don't have anything like that. So what am I doing with my life? I've always been um, a big proponent of it's not what you know, it's who you know. So I've always, in my mind, tried to cast a very, um, 
wide net with groups of friends and people I know. Um, I wouldn't say I prided myself, but people were always like, oh, you know so many people in different areas. You, if I need something, you, you can kind of point me to somebody. And I didn't realize at the time that I was just gathering these friends um, that I could use as resources. And when someone needed help, well, this is what they did. So I was also helping them in their business. Um, and I didn't really understand that at the time, but um, I reached out to my first roommate um, and his name was Dean and his brother-in-law, surprise, surprise, was a sales manager at my current company. That's Wyndham Capital Mortgage. Um, and I was telling him, I was also calling around to my old boss, who was a branch manager. Uh, it was known as First uh, Metropolitan Mortgage, no longer in business after the meltdown, uh, mortgage meltdown that is, and calling him up. He was working in a place. They were hiring processors um, and gave him my resume. He gave that to the owner of the company, who I knew from the old uh, First Met, um, and they passed it along to the processing manager. Never got a phone call, which is weird because they both put it on his desk. Um, later found out that the processing manager's in over his head trying to get this entire department started. The company was still very new. And so um, they were offering 80000 for that position as a processor, which for anyone who knows in processing, that's a lot of money for a processor. It's, it's way overpaid. Um, and so I also was calling... Dean's brother-in-law and they set it up and their salary was 30,000 big drop at the time I was like I I need a new start and I was going to take one of them didn't matter which one whoever called me if I got the one for 80 well obviously that's 80 grand I'm taking that um and I asked I was like I had the offer on the table from Wyndham at 30 with potential bonus didn't understand how it was going to work but I knew it was potential bonus and um I never got a call back from first met or from the company, the, uh, the old guys from first met. And I told guys like, guys need you to give me a sign. If that job at 80 grand is not supposed to work out, shut that door. And so I told Wyndham cause they gave me 24 hours. They put the offer on the table and said 24, 24 hours. Um, so I waited, I called, um, I called my guy back over, um, at the other company. I was like, Hey, I, I've got an offer on the table. Like your guy needs to call me. He was like, all right, I'll, I'll let him know never heard back. So it's almost like the John Wooden story. Like you have, uh, I think it was like, uh, Milwaukee school or somewhere in Wisconsin. And you also have UCLA who is a dog track. Um, and it just happened by circumstance. So that was my intro at Wyndham, um, where I still am today. So you're in the service industry at 131 Maine. You already dipped your feet in the professional environment. You know, real estate, you know, mortgages based on, you know, kind of previous jobs, um, you leave 131. I, I love the, the transition though. You're like, who do I know? You know, you talked a lot about your network and I think it's really important for people to know not only does your network work for you, but you also work for your network. It's, it's a, um, definitely a self-serving and helping people thing. But when you need a favor, that's who you call. And guess what? You're going to owe them a favor one day. And that's just how, the, how it works. So you started asking a really important question I wrote down here. Who do I know? Turns out you know Dean's brother-in-law or, or something like that. And you got a foot in the door at Wyndham, new company. And it sounds like you said yes, it's $30,000 salary. And it sounds like there's some bonus. So we're still not at 60. How do you get there? 
Um, it's actually, a, it's, it's a really funny story. I, have, I feel like I have a lot of just like coincidental stories, but I had actually helped Dean when I was trying to make some extra cash when we were roommates. We were roommates for about three years. Uh, his brother-in-law had a house out in Mint Hill, really nice house. He was at Wyndham at the time and, um, he had just bought a fence and he needed the fence put together so it could be put into the ground. And so he paid me 10 bucks an hour to help put together this fence. I mean, it was just a silly thing. We hung out a couple hours and like, I mean, I, I made like no money doing this, but like, it was just one of those coincidental things where I met this guy. So then I, uh, I called Dean up and I asked him, um, or he and I were talking about it. So this is, this is where coincidental things like I didn't even call Dean to ask him about it. He and I are talking because at the time I'm just a BMW nut and I have this old 1980s or 1990s, uh, BMW and we're talking about some work that we're doing on it. And I mentioned to him that I was trying to get a job as a processor. He was like, Oh, you, Remember Matt, my my brother in law, he he actually works uh, uh, at Wyndham Capital. He it's a mortgage company. I was like, I asked, I was like, w- would you call him and just see if they have any positions open? Whatever it is, you see what they have available. I'll do anything. And he calls me back. He's like, yeah, um, give him a call here and tell him who you are. Remind him all that kind of stuff. And he says he has something that might actually fit what you're looking for. Turns out he had just started trying to fill a position as a loan officer assistant. Really cool position where you essentially are assistant, yes. Um, and I'm not getting dry cleaning anymore. That's pretty cool. So I'm essentially like a processor, but I'm doing the front end work. It's like help them call the borrower, make sure they're doing disclosures, making sure they're providing their initial documentation. And there is, because this is a, a, um, it's a new position they've just created, before LOs had to do all this work. Loan officers had to do all this stuff. Um, they've just created it. So they had this crazy bonus structure that is so long gone because you, they, I don't think they realized how much money we were going to make off of it. So I enter in at 30000 And then very shortly after, I think they weren't getting enough traction because they started, like I was a third person to get hired in as this position. And then... They were trying to fill the positions, and I don't think they were getting enough traction, so they bumped the salaries on all of us because if they do it for one, you got to do it for all of them. They bumped us all to 40. So I got an immediate 10 grand bonus. That was that was pretty awesome, or 10 grand bump. Um, and then from there, my first year doing that, I actually doubled my income and in bonus. So um, that was my first year I ever made over 60000 and it was – it was a turning point. I never had had that much money before. I like, and I was living by myself for the first time. Um, it, it was a really, really good time of my life. Wow. So it sounds like we're there. That was fast. Eight to six to eight years, back and forth, back and forth. Boom, win them. Boom, bonus. See you later. Did you have to graduate from loan officer assistant? Did you make 60K as a loan officer assistant? Like, did you get promoted or anything? What happened? Um, so from here, things got really good. So I, I did that job for, I can't recall exactly. It was at least a year. And as a loan officer assistant, making 40 plus bonus, um, and always doing really well at that. Um, I ended up being one of the top producers doing that. And fortunately I took on one of my guys was the number one loan officer in the company. 
and he alone, so he had a bonus structure. You had to have like 21 units to get into um, into bonus, and then everything else was icing on the cake, and he had tiers. So I had four or five guys at the time. Fortunately, I had the number one guy who alone put me in bonus every single month. I'm no, I'm I'm just like I'm just working for him at the time. Yeah, so like I'm I'm crushing it with these guys. Um, and then we have so many loan officer assistants spread throughout the four sales teams. They decide we need some unity here because my team, I was on Matt's team. They were the number one team, number one sales team, which was also a good place to be. Um, but the other managers were hiring more loan officer assistants for their team so that they felt they could get better production out of them, faster service. Well, we only had three on our team, whereas other teams had eight. So we were making way more money on our team than the other folks were. And they knew it. I mean, it was very clear because our team is doing more in sales, and yet they have more loan officer assistance. Um, and so they really wanted to have some uh, uniformity to this position and have more round robin for all teams. So all teams got served at the same pace. And so I got passed over for the first position, and I found, yeah, first manager position. Um, and the person who got the position really wasn't. Uh, a good fit for it, but um, their manager was the one who was heading up the creation of that manager position. So it makes sense. Um, I held grudges at first because I was really frustrated because I knew I was more qualified and my numbers were way better. Usually if you want to be a manager in a creative position, who has the best numbers, right? Um, so I, it was really tough at the time. I'm really glad, uh, and by the way, I had just gone on my honeymoon Got back from St. John, and the day after I got back from St. John, got a call from the COO saying, I just wanted you to know so that when you got back, you didn't find out the wrong way. Um, but he gave me a very nice reason. He just, I, I wasn't mature enough for the position, um, and he was right. Um, I was not qualified yet, although I was I mean, maybe a top producer. I wasn't ready to be a manager, and so I found out when I got back from my honeymoon that I did not get that position. That, that was pretty tough, but it was a blessing because she had to do a whole lot of work creating this department, putting together spreadsheets, production models, uh, tracking, all these things. Um, so it was actually a blessing that that happened. But um, I also got to be married and not have to have all this stress on my head. I just got to keep doing what I did. Amazing. So... You just you just threw a big bomb out there. I just got back from my honeymoon, so obviously you got it, Wyndham. Professional job, started making good money. You were allowed to get married, yeah. got married, honeymoon, and that's a it's a great way to look at it. Not like I didn't hold a, I you said I didn't hold a grudge, things like that. That was a really good way to look at it, of like, hey, now I'm I'm married and don't have all this stress. I can spend more time at home, um, you know, and kind of know what I'm doing in my job. So I thought it was a really a good mindset. So do you remember? Are you still like an MLO assistant at this point? And because I I knew you were like as a manager, when did you get like that salary over kind of sixty k or something like that? Um, I so I'm, I'm still a loan officer assistant at Wyndham, and now I don't have my set group of guys, which was tough. That meant my my production was based off of this manager giving me loans. Um, rather than, yeah, less control, rather than me having my core group of guys that I knew would produce, um, 
we have in sales there's uh we have a presence club as you can see i'm wearing my presence club shirt now i, I finally made it there but um i lost those guys i had three guys that were in presence club and there's only 10 total out of the whole sales force so i had three guys who were like top producers so like now i'm round robin getting different quality loan all this stuff things change pretty quickly so my income ended up dropping a lot but then this manager was not able to handle the stress of the position and so she ended up quitting like just walked out on uh, essentially um and i say she walked out she kind of just stopped managing that's the way it felt um and so the coo brought me in and without even an interview he was like here's what's going on you were like the next person in line for it and i ended up taking over that position it was a huge blessing um and at the time i was making he he gave me I think 50 or 55, it was 55, but then I had a really good bonus structure. Um, and I was coincidentally, although production as a loan officer assistant had dropped, I think my cap was going to be around 60. Now I've got a salary right at 55, but with my bonus, I was right back up to 80 again. So like, it was really good because I was still going to make good money. Um, I did that for a while. And then, um, I was always looking for more and I kept asking him, I said, so, because he's over sales and over operations, but he has a full-on sales background. Um, his name's Rob Zinger, and he is just a top-notch guy. He is by far the most influential manager I've ever had and the most level-headed. So he's taught me a tremendous amount. He taught me how to be a manager. Um, so I would say at that point, I started asking him for advice on what I needed to do to better my career. And then we went into a couple of different positions and kind of brought me where I am today. We can hit that on, an, on, another, on another podcast, but amazing. So that's like a, an eight year story condensed within maybe an hour or so, however long we've went, um, a couple hours, eight, we would say it's 18 to 24, 25. And then it was just boom, Wyndham. There was hockey stick growth. Um, you know, 55, got in a company, got promoted once, now you're managing people, 55, married, all this stuff. So we can go and end it there, man. I mean, that was that was amazing. Loved hearing that story. I, I learned a lot about you that I didn't know. Um, and I can definitely tell your mouth's dry. So thanks for thanks for uh, talking so much, man. It was, it was amazing. Could you give me a, a quick insight? I want to just give your mom a shout out right here because she was a really big influence on your life. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship and, and how it shaped you yeah my mom um she really yeah single mom um it was a tough upbringing um and we never really had a lot and I always was taught a lot from my mom about making the most of what you have um I was never um the one to be content I always wanted more um, but my mom really taught me to appreciate what you have. Um, but she was very compassionate in a time when I needed that. Um, I had a difficult father and so I didn't get compassion from that side. So she was always there to like soften things up for me. Sometimes maybe too much, but it was what I needed to grow as a child, to grow as a young man, to grow into adulthood. She was always there and she always supported me in everything I did. 
Um, and I can't say she sacrificed so much for me to be at least where I was, which is always well below where all my friends was were. Um, and that was tough, but I knew that everything I had, my mom had much less because she was giving that up. Um, so I used to always, I, I, I look back and although we didn't have a lot, I can thank her for what we did have because she worked really, really hard. Um, a lot of times doing multiple jobs and doing a lot of things. And I look back and evidently she was tired a lot, but she always made sure there was food on the table. However little there was, it was nothing fancy, but there was always food to eat. And there was never concern of whether we had a place to live. Um, so I, re- I really thank her for that. She was just a very compassionate. She, also, she taught me how to be happy. She's always, and you've met my mom. She's always smiling and always interested in what you have going on. And she was always, this is one thing I will always remember about my mom is that she's the last person to leave a party. Um, sometimes it's by talking, but she's always, usually, let's say she's the last because she's helping clean up. So at grandma and grandpa's on thir- on Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever that may be, she was always there helping clean up. If we were at a church function, grandma or my mom was there helping clean up. If we were at a friend's party, even if they were celebrating my mom, she was the one helping clean up. So she she's a very, um, very big servant's heart. And so if I could say anything about my mom, it was that she sacrificed everything for me, but also had a servant's heart to show me what it was like to serve other people. Thanks for, thanks for including that. And then real quick, as we wrap up, what do you tell that guy who's at 131 Main or that person who's at Just Fresh, who's in this back and forth service industry, um, professional service, back and forth in that track, going to school, not going to school? What's your advice to them to help them get from, from where they're at currently to where, where they want to be? Uh, I'm going to steal this from uh, Jim Rohn. So I, I, actually, I'll, I'll, let me go back first. You must do a lot of studying. When I first met Colby, Colby always, he told me he just, while all the other kids were out partying, he was reading books. And um, I remember that very early on. I was not a reader when I met Colby. But um, I would tell anyone who is looking for something extra in life or trying to advance their career, um, they need to have a means of getting there. And I read more now and I study more about history and business and personal development than I ever did, which is really ironic because I hated school and I hated reading. But I would say for the individual who is working at a restaurant or they're at any job or or any place in their life where they're unhappy, having the desire to, to study, having the desire to invest in themselves. So I'll go back to Jim Rohn, as I mentioned. He always, uh, in his audios, will say, you can always go to job, go to work, and you can earn a paycheck. But if you go to work for yourself and you invest in yourself, you'll earn a fortune. And that's always really penetrated through to me like what it truly means to like want to get somewhere if you invest in yourself and if you truly want it bad enough you've got to work towards it it doesn't mean going to 
to a job and just working through the mundane, waiting for that clock to punch, like just waiting, like, oh, it's almost five o'clock. It's almost five o'clock. No, like you should be hungry to advance yourself. And so there's a story of the two men who work for um, a railroad track, right? And a railroad company. And they both start off at the same day. And 30 years later, one of the guys is there on the track and um, he's just doing his work with other guys. And one of the um, coaches comes by on the tracks, obviously the presidential suite coach, right? And he's waving at the guy inside the window. And his buddy looks at him. He's like, how do you know him? He goes, oh, we started on the same day. He's, uh, he now runs the, he runs the railroad. He was like, well, what happened to you? And the moral of the story is, well, I just came to work for a paycheck. That guy, he came to work for the railroad. And so if you want to advance yourself, you've got to be sacrificing yourself and making the company better. You have to sacrifice yourself in your own time when you could be watching TV or hanging out with your friends to do things that are going to make you better. Um, and I will say, if there's one book that can contribute to anything and bettering your life and your lifestyle and your advancement in anything you do, no matter what kind of work or non-work, uh, it's called The Miracle Morning. Have you heard of it? So the Miracle Morning they have for all kinds of things. It started out for real estate agents, but they have one for salespeople. Um, and it's just about starting your day off right. And I won't go into it. I'll let, I'll let your listeners read that book. Go buy it. I think it's like $10. Get it used on, uh, on Amazon, whatever you do. But um, it is, for me, set in motion what every day should start out like. So when I get to my job at 7.30 every morning... I've already been up for two and a half hours. I am ready to go. So don't sleep in. Wake up early. Thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure. All right, we'll end it here. Good stuff.